This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, as always, presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. I've got an exciting guest on, um, one that actually just this week, somebody was saying, hey, why don't you get more of the hunting public on? So we've got Zach, Zach Farrenball from the hunting public, and we are talking... All things whitetails, from bow hunting setups to different tactics, tips, and tricks on how to become more successful, heavy arrow setups, just having a good time talking hunting. So I would highly, highly encourage you to tune in. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life. There's no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Guys, if you've been around hunting at all, you've probably heard of a little company called Muddy. I have learned that if it says Muddy on it, I can trust it. From tree stands, ground blinds, trail cameras, to all the accessories. If it says Muddy, it's a name I can trust. I love their tree stands. I love their ground blinds. I love their trail cameras. The new Merge and their Morph Cellular Trail Cameras, they're phenomenal, especially when you pair them up with a solar panel and they last forever. Guys, I would encourage you to check out Muddy uh, for all your tree stands, ground blinds, all the accessories, bow hangers, uh, harnesses, everything tree stands or ground blinds or accessories related. If it says Muddy, I know that I can trust it. Guys, I know the new Rage. The new Rage is these super light tree stands that cost like 400 bucks, and I'm like... Well, why would I spend 400 bucks on one when I can spend 100 and get four tree stands um, that are all going to perform? They're all going to be safe. They're all going to be comfortable. Guys, Muddy is the gold standard, in my opinion, uh, for what a tree stand and a ground blind and trail cameras should offer you. So, guys, go check them out. They are phenomenal. And I promise you, if you're shopping at a Dick's Academy, Bass Pro, Cabela's, anywhere, if it says Muddy, I promise you it's a name you can trust. All right, we got a special guest. I man, I haven't had you on in a while. We uh yeah. we've had some of the other uh some of the other members of the crew on, but uh they're not Zach. So it's exciting <laughs> to have you on, man. We've got Zach Farrenball from The Hunting Public. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I um just got done making a turkey video from last year, so that was kind of fun. Now that I'm Very done cool. with it, I feel good, you know. I got it done a little yeah. early, so it always feels good. 
You know what's funny is literally just yesterday, I got an email and they're like, dude, love the podcast. Like, love bear archery. Love you guys. Why in the heck don't you have the hunting public on more? And I'm like, well, <laughs> stay tuned, man. They're coming. <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah. We... We had Aaron on a couple times uh, around the new bow launch to talk about the new bow and all the details there. And yeah, I know you guys played a very large role uh, working with with Chris to get that bow designed. And so there's a lot of exciting things going on at the hunting public, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like, I mean, the bow is huge. That was really fun to actually get hands on it, shoot it and use it this season. And it's it's funny because... I honestly didn't, I tried to not have a high expectation, you know, just because you don't never want to be disappointed. And it was like, well, that exceeded everything that I ex expected or could have even um, hoped for out of it. And I feel like it really made me realize what I like about that bow and what I like better about it than the ones that I've been shooting in the past, like the simplicity of that single cam. Yeah. As far as smooth, smooth draw is the big one for me, just because of the situations I find myself in on the ground. Right. And I had previously been shooting the, the, uh, divergent was 28 inches axle to axle. And like, I really liked that and thought that that was, you know, going to be a, a scary change to have, you know, those additional inches. Cause the THP, bow is 32 but honestly that wasn't ever really a factor for me even so having that bow this year was really fun i really liked it see, like see i'm curious to get your thoughts on that because you hear so many guys talk about short axle to axle and they're like i'm a tree stand hunter i'm a ground blind hunter and i'm like well really you know two inches <laughs> doesn't make that big of a difference you know um and, and to me what you gain because my my sweet spot's 32 33 uh that's what mm -hmm. i really like which is you know that's why I, I when chris called me and said hey dude uh we got two bows coming out to execute and and the 30 and then what you're gonna love is the 32 and i'm like oh snap uh because i love that I feel like you get the best performance as, as far as tunability and shootability. Um, and, and, you know, everybody freaks out and they're like, yeah, but I'm a ground blind hunter. And I'm like, dude, I shoot a 60 inch recurve out of a ground blind. Like you're okay. Right. Like, I mean, there's not that, you know? And so I'm curious to know, like, where you find the give and take there, like as far as compact and, and, and maneuverable, but then when you start going up, it gets, you know, easier to shoot, better to shoot, more comfortable to shoot. Uh, so where do you kind of draw that line at? And we're going to talk about this for heavy arrows too. Um, cause I, I talked with, uh, the ranch ferry at ATA about the heavy arrow kind of line that we have to draw. Uh, but as far as axle to axle, where do you kind of draw that line as far as, you know, I'm sacrificing too much of shootability for, a, a compact bow that I'm really never going to need that, that small of a bow in. Um, where, where do you kind of draw that line at? I feel like I was shooting that 28 for long enough that I'd almost forgot about how much of a benefit is that it, it, it is to have that 32 because yeah. previously the bows that I had shot were all 32, I think. Um, I mean, other than the ones that I first started out, they were like, I mean, so outdated even for the time that i was shooting i know the like big old like not even parallel <laughs> yeah. limb bows 
Who knows? Yeah, forty-two inch axle to axle. Yeah. But yeah. then uh, I really just felt like, as far as consistent arrow flight, it was just so much easier to get that with this bow. I felt like yeah. there's just more forgiveness in that in that way, and I know that that is the case of you to keep bumping it up. Like I know a lot of guys that run out west and people that I shoot with here in Colorado. You know, they shoot a longer bow because a lot of times your shots are a little bit different body position. You're not in a tree stand or a ground blind. Right. You're just kind of standing there, you know, calling an elk in, or you're standing up shooting over some terrain to shoot at a mule deer or a pronghorn. But and a lot of those shots, you know, the guys practice out here a lot further. And I practice shooting really far. Uh, where I mean, far for me, I guess, you know, 60, 70, 80 yards throughout the, the summer. And I just felt like doing that was easier with this bow. So to me, it was a little bit of a reminder that, hey, if you do this, it's going to be a little bit easier for the things that you like doing. And I just feel like the, as far as consistent arrow flight, I was just always getting better arrow flight with this yeah. new bow. And then, um, yeah, I guess to me, I didn't notice a difference as far as in the positions that I get into. I didn't really notice much of a difference getting drawn or anything like that. Just being on the ground, 32 inches versus 28 didn't seem like it was that much of a, a difference. And right. I would almost be curious then to try something a little bit longer too, just because it's like, well, if I didn't notice it making the jump from 28 to 32, what about 32 to 34, you know? So, yeah. The one thing though, I guess that's in addition to all that is, is bow weight. And I, carry five arrows. I always use my quiver. I don't take my quiver off. I know like back when I was younger, I used to take my quiver off. And I think a lot of, you know, stationary whitetail hunters do take their quiver off, but I probably started hunting with a quiver on at all times, all the way back in 2018. I think it was the first year that I never took my quiver off. And since then I've never taken it off for a hunt and I've actually now put a two piece like permanent quiver on my bow, which I really, really like that. That was kind of one With of the, the biggest things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. the thing that I like about that is it just kind of takes that profile and just brings it all in. And as far as maneuvering it from a hunting, like moving to hunt stalking, you know, still hunting standpoint, I really liked that. And um, I think that it seems insignificant, but when you, you know, bring everything in and you kind of make it more solid when it's permanent like that, it doesn't have the wobble. It doesn't have as much room between the riser and the, the actual quiver. It's like, man, like I, I just really like that. I really. Um, when I tell everybody, like, if you're going to be, Ground hunting, spot and stalking, crawling through the woods. A two-piece is the way to go because what happens is it spreads out your your grippers so far that those arrows are super locked in. Um, you know, even on a even on a if you run the Versalite as a as a one piece and and dual grippers, those grippers are so close together that um, you know, you can still knock arrows out when you're crawling through brush and stuff. But uh with that two-piece 
it spreads those grippers out so far that those arrows are just locked in. Like you have nothing to worry about with those arrows. And so um, I tell everybody, like when they ask me about the Versalite and and why I run the system I run and what they should run, I'm like, well, do you crawl on the ground? Like are you are you busting through brush and and acting like acting like Zach or are you sitting in a tree stand? Because um, that's a big difference, you know. Uh, but going back to your point. You know, a lot of guys used to take them off because the technology in quivers just wasn't there. Um, you know, it would throw your bow way off balance and, and that quiver would sit nine inches from your riser. And so yeah. um, it would just, you know, it would, it would really throw off the balance of your bow. But now with the technology and how close these quivers are getting to the riser, you know, I, I think it, it benefits you to leave it on, uh, especially if you run a back bar because it, it really balances out that bow just really well. And so, you know, not only does it not hinder you to leave it on, I think with the technology and quivers and being able to move that out and tilt it different ways, and you can really balance your bow better with it now. And so um, I think there's a benefit to leaving it on now. Yeah. I think to me, just from the, I, I guess the reason that I started doing it was I watched, there's, there's a video that I still come across every once in a while on YouTube that is like the perfect example of why I believe you should always have your quiver. This guy, I think he's in one of the Dakotas and he spots this really big white tail better with the doe and he makes a stalk on it. And it, um, I think it ends up seeing him and like, not, you know how those rutted bucks can be yeah. when they, they have a doe locked down, it sees him and like, like, you know, who are you? And starts stomping towards him. He misses it or yeah, I think he misses it. And just a clean miss and the deer just doesn't do anything. Well, he had taken his quiver off and just went up there with one arrow and his quiver is behind him. And it's like, well, now you're completely out of the game. And, you know, it takes one time to watch something like that and put yourself in that situation and be like, Ooh, you know, maybe that, maybe that's reason to change. And like I said, I had always taken it off because I previously, you know, 2016, and back to when I first started, you know, the majority of my bow hunting was just in a stand. And then I started moving and doing all this different stuff. And it was like, I just want to have my arrows with me. And I started doing that. But then the one downside to that is, especially if you're going to carry five arrows, it definitely makes your bow heavier. And um, I guess that was the other thing about this new adapt that I really liked is even though it was longer, and even though I have a five arrow permanent quiver on it, I felt like it was still plenty lightweight. I wasn't as fatigued carrying it all day as I was with my previous bow. And it was just easier to maneuver. And a lot of that has to do with it just being so compact. So like the way that I kind of set it up this year is definitely my favorite feel that I've had in a really long time. And I'm not, I'm honestly not saying that even because it's the PHP bow. It's like, it just is a lot. It really is just a lot better for me. I like the feeling of that, um, grip as well. And just everything when I'm holding that, it just feels right. And actually I had got the, um, Oh shoot. I don't even remember which one it is now. I had got another one of the bear bows to kind of compare them. I could, I'd have to, I should have looked that up before we got to talking about it, but it was one of the other ones that was, it's a, it's a way faster bow. The legend um, XR. I don't think it was a legend. 
shoot, dang it, man! I this is I'd have it to look it the, up to know. Was it was it new for this year? Potentially, if you spit off a few, I'll be able to tell you. I'll know as soon uh, as I hear it. The Alaskan. No. Was it the Execute? Might have been the Execute. That's the Might flagship bow for the year. Yeah, it was the flagship bow. It was the flagship bow for the year because I wanted to take yeah. the flagship bow and compare that to the THP bow. And as now, don't get me wrong, I still think it's a great bow and it definitely shoots a faster arrow. But as soon as I picked up the THP bow and just felt that, you know how it it's is. Very it's, like well, some it's very well balanced. Uh, that's what I like yeah, about that bow. Balanced. It's very well balanced. I just picked it up, man, put it in my hand. I'm just like... <laughs> I don't even know that I really need to shoot it. It's like, I just like the way that feels in my hand and the grip's a little bit different. And I mean, a lot of that's personal preference too. I mean, I think that somebody else would pick up that other bow and be like, oh, this is absolutely my choice. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And that's, right. that's kind of what I always tell people. It's like, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't want to hard sell anything. Like what I think a person ought to do is go to a, a shop, shoot a bunch of them, see which ones feel best because I think there is ultimately a bow that's just like, yeah, this one's, this one's the one for me. And that's what yeah. I had with the, the, the adapt, which was honestly not what I expected. Like I got that flagship bow thinking, oh, I'll probably just end up shooting this one, you know, didn't take me long to decide the opposite, which I thought was cool. It made me feel good about what, you know, what we what had you guys come, had built. come up with. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So, that so was, walk me that through the rest of your setup. You've got the uh, you've got the adapt with the uh, Versalite quiver. What kind of sights, rest, mm -hmm. and everything else are you running on it? So I just have the um, drop away rest on there, which I prefer. You know, I like I like having that drop away because I feel that it's kind of just the most consistent thing for me. I like that style. I've been shooting that now for probably seven years that style of a of a rest and i've just always really liked it and um then i told aaron you guys make me you guys make me mad because like if i had to guess i would have pegged all of you guys as whisker biscuit guys <laughs> yeah i think I, I think ted's i think that might be ted's preference or i know that he's used him in the past my only thing with whisker biscuits is is um I think that they're great. I think that they're the great option. I just always have this feeling that I'm going to wear one out. I've never actually even used one like full yeah. season. I've shot them off of bows. Absolutely. But I've never used one for like a full season. And I've just always had this like probably unrealistic fear that I'm going to wear one out and then just like, you know, be in a weird yeah. position where I've got one more out, but I've, I've been using that drop away. And, you know, as far as, like, I, I guess this is a little tweak that I like to do. It's a full, you know, it, it fully like keeps your arrow in it. place. It's got yeah. the little encloses. Yeah. It's got the, you know, top piece that makes it so that your arrow can't fall out of there, which I, I love. I think is really important, but it comes with like a little bit of moleskin. But what I do as well is I take moleskin, put it all around my riser and I'll take my arrow and I'll move it anywhere I can within the rest. And then I'll actually flip the rest down and move my arrow. So I end up putting stealth strip all over it. Like I've got it up the riser 
anywhere my arrow can hit. And then I actually also have it on the bottom of my sight, which is low odds that that's going to happen, but there's always a chance. Like if my arrow can hit it though, I have it covered in, um, in stealth strip. And then another thing I started doing is in years past, I've realized that when I, cause I still shoot a, uh, wrist strap release that dangles. Yeah. So it doesn't stay rigid up, you know, up my hands. It, it, it falls, which I personally like when I'm moving sometimes fast, I'll just tuck it up into my shirt and then it doesn't get in the way. And, uh, I've noticed in the past when reloading an arrow, when that thing dangles, it's not an issue all the time, but if you've got a deer close and need to reload when it would hit the, uh, string stopper, it would clank a little bit. So I actually have a little bit of stealth strip around that as well. And then, uh, the, as far as a site, I switched for the first time to the react one site, which is a single pin. First time I've ever shot a single pin. I've shot slider sliders in the past with the hot wire, which has the two fixed pins and then yeah. a single pin slider. But I kind of, so this is, this is a little thing that Aaron taught me a long time ago. And it's kind of like a tip that has really worked for me, but kind of ultimately created a little bit of limitation with the hot wire. So Aaron, when him and I first started like hanging out way back in 2015, when we were working at Midwest Whitetail, he was telling me how he likes to take his, his site housing and put his 20 yard pin or his most used pin, whether that's 20, 25, 10, whatever, the pin that he uses the most in the center and then everything down from there. Because his theory was when you center your peep, you center your housing and you center that pin, it's just kind of an easy brain. You know, when your brain's all foggy, you got big buck fever and you draw back, it's just center, 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 and then you make the shot. So those close range, you know, kill, you know, kill pin or top pin kill shots, hopefully just become a little bit easier. And I started doing that, man, I just fell in love with that setup. It just made the 20 yard look just so easy to register, you know, anything 20 and in it in your, your brain just automatically centers all that stuff right onto the deer. So it just kind of made, made sense to me. The problem then that I had with that hot wire is I could only, because I had my 20, my 30 and the, you know, the 20 in the center, 30, just below that's that final pin. I really can only ever get it to like 50, 55 yards. And that was fine for most situations. Like, honestly, I've never, I think the furthest I've ever even shot a deer was 40 yards. So it wasn't really much of an issue, but I kept thinking, I mean, for pronghorn hunting and stuff like that. I mean, I just do such a variety of hunting throughout the season that the majority of stuff I do is really close 20 and in, but then there's also going to be those situations like pronghorn hunting or maybe in the right situation, like in a Western whitetail hunt or even, I mean, for that matter, even in the you know perfect situation in the timber, there's always yeah. that chance that I'm going to want to take a longer shot. And I guess I just figured for me, if I could shoot, if I'm going to shoot, 30 and in with one, if I can do that with one pin then anything further than 30, 
I'm going to want to get a range on it anyway and know exactly how far it is. And then with the single pin, I can just dial exactly to what I want to shoot. So for example, if I've got my pin set up to where I can shoot 30 and in and not have to move the pin, then I see a deer out there and I'm like, yeah, I think he's 40 ish, but I hit him with the range. He's 43. Well, then I'm going to hopefully have that time to dial it in. And I, I just kind of thought back to past experiences where I was, you know, considering shooting those longer distances and usually didn't, but, or pretty much always didn't. But there was one time in particular, there was a hunt that I had in Iowa where I made a stalk on a buck and he was with a doe and he was looking the other way. There was no wind and he was looking at that doe and he was all stretched out broadside and he was like 45 yards. And it was like, man, I don't typically take, you know, take those longer shots, but it was like, this is perfect. Yeah, that would, that would have been the opportunity. And I thought back to that situation and I thought, well, if I'm in that situation again, I have time to range that deer. I mean, I have time to range him 20 times, you know, and and I did that day. So ultimately that made the decision. And dude, what was so cool about that, that, that sight change is when I first got the adapt, I threw my old hot wire on there, got it sighted in. And then, uh, I was actually out camping with my family and, um, this past summer and I had just got the react and I'm like, ah, do I want to throw this on there? I'm like, ah, whatever. I'll throw it. I got time and I got some room to really, you know, launch it. I bet you in five shots, I was shooting at 70 yards. It was insane. Yeah. It's crazy. It for digital, 20 and then it's just like, it's done react? for you. Not the, re- the digital. Regular. It's just the, okay. it's just the regular, but that, that, uh, you know, ability to change your pin gap. Yeah. I just started with it all the way, you know, kind of spread out, got it sighted into 20. And I dude, I kid you not, I'm back at 70 within definitely less than 10 <laughs> shots. And I'm just sinking them right in there. I'm like, well, this is pretty sweet because I had been limited a little bit, like I said, with that hot wire. So it was just kind of cool to have that. And, I, I really liked what, it. You, you mentioned the benefit of having that 20 right in the center. There's also a real big benefit of having that vertical single pin uh, because mm-hmm. that eliminates the need to look at the bubble, you know, because you can oh, see yeah. that, that, that vertical post straight up and down. And for hunters, I mean, you run that vertical pin right up their front leg and it, you know, yeah. it lines up with their leg and it's, it's just a whole nother, you know, um, leveling system that, really is mindless almost, you know, you just, you don't have to look at anything. Um, and what I, what I always do, which I'm not a single pin guy. Um, but I did, I shot one this year and this kind of ties me into where I want to go with the the heavy arrow situation, but, um, shot one this year and this by no means is revolutionary. People were doing this a long time ago and now other site companies even make them, uh, with a pin halfway down that post. Uh, but I always took a bright silver fingernail polish and I would put a dot halfway down that post for a 30-yard reference. That way, if my pin was at 20 and the deer jumps to 30, I- I've got a reference. Dylan, you got the best you idea. It. You did it. I did You, you it. did it. That, <laughs> dude, I'm writing that down. I got it. Seriously, that's an unbelievable idea. Because now you can take that. that that's, that's phenomenal. Because here's been again, my issue. It, if I have time, I still crank it to 30, like, so I can use the pen. Absolutely. But that but does give gold. me a reference. That is gold. 
Guys, I know, I know. Uh, cheap, interchangeable blade knives. They're all in the rage. Change your blade right there, and you can keep going. And it, It's cool, and I have one in my bag, and I like to keep one in my bag. However, there is no replacement for a well-built, hand-forged knife. Something that I know is dependable. It's strong. If I pick it up, it's going to be sharp. It's going to be ready to go. Um, these right here are knives built by my good friend, Nick Deeker, Nick's Knife Works. And um, the most beautiful part of this is it's not cut and dry. You don't just pick out a knife and say, well, I guess that's the one I need. No, 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 no. He built this one specifically to the length that I wanted it. I wanted this to fit right on the side of my binocular harness so it was always there, always ready for me to grab. He built this one to fit really small in my pocket uh, for an everyday carry. Guys, a good hand-forged knife is worth its weight in gold. Go check out Nick Deeker at nicksknifeworks.com. You're welcome. I'm right. <laughs> yeah, I thank you so much, seriously, because and I, I never thought of that. I've actually never even heard anybody doing that because what I was going to say was the only thing that I would that I would like better, I think, is if I had 20 and probably 20, 30, 40 or even just 20, 40, because this is the situation. I, I So classic, why not go with the classic. trio? Is that an option? Yeah, to have the three. The, I guess I don't. Yeah. I don't know well enough. So they have the exact same site that you're shooting. Uh, it's called the React Trio. Um, so it's got the two pins. Uh, it's got two horizontal pins, and then your bottom pin is vertical. So you've still got the vertical alignment. Um, but mm -hmm. rather as the hot wire, um, inside the hot wire, just that pin would move. Um, but mm -hmm. on the Trio, the whole housing moves. Uh, so yeah. once you once you start cranking it down. Uh, your bottom pin becomes, you know, whatever your markers on your top two pins become irrelevant. But when that's set up, you have 20, 30, 40, um, right there. And then you crank it down. And that's what I've shot a react trio for five years now. Um, and what I do is I take the dovetail, um, from a react single pro and I put the dovetail on that trio. So I've got a three pin slider on a dovetail. That's what I do. I still maybe like, I like the lack of clutter that you get with this. Oh, hundred percent. So there's something to be said about that too. There definitely is. It, it, it's less con confusing. What I well, do there's really something like, to be though. said. No matter what, whether you're shooting at twenty or hundred and twenty, your sight picture is the exact same. Like your sight mm -hmm. picture does not change whatsoever. That's what. So as that's long as you're, what as long as you're dialed in. Yeah. That's the benefit yeah. is no matter where you're shooting, your sight picture is identical. And that's, you know, there's something to be said about that. I, I agree. And, you know, you've solved my problem with the marker or fingernail polish or something along there, because I, I always had the fear and this is a rare situation. I don't think that I've ever actually had this happen, but it's like, okay, I've got 30 and in covered with the same pin. Like, when I was elk hunting this year, I actually had it set up on 30 the whole time because I knew 30, even out to 35, honestly, I knew, but anything inside of 30, I knew exactly how I was going to adjust with that same pin yeah. set up. And I figured if I had time or whatever, I would, I would change it obviously, but I ended up shooting an elk at 22 yards with the pin set at 30, but so, so that worked great. The, the situation that I thought would be the most, 
disappointing and where I would just have to call the opportunity this season. But now with your, with your, um, little trick there, I think I can solve this problem. I can't picture in a, a world where I'm in, you know, I'm in tight to where a deer is and he's coming in and he's coming inside of 10 yards. So we got a bucket like eight to five yards and I'm at full draw already. And he looks up and he catches me or he smells me. He bounds out to like 40. If I know that range, because I was set up, I would take that shot. If he's broadside, you know, he gives me a good opportunity at that distance. But if your pin set at 20 yards, it's like, there's a lot of very, for me, for my setup, at least for my, you know, how fast my arrow is going because of the weight and everything. There's a lot how of heavy do you shoot from, by the way, this year I was shooting 500. Okay. That's right. Where so, I'm exactly 500 right now. Yeah. I think, I think mine was like 500 or yeah, right. Like literally 500 grains, like maybe yeah. a tick under even maybe 498, I think. But um, but there's a lot of programs you can actually, you can actually put in, um, your speeds, your arrow weights, all that stuff. And it'll tell you like, um, max arrow trage- trajectory, like at, at its peak. So then, then, you know, okay, my optimal, uh, pin should be 27 yards because then I'm going to have a six inch gap at 30 and a seven inch gap at 20. Um, and so there's a lot of programs and I ran a single pin like that for a whole year. Um, you know, set it at, and mine was 27 yards. Uh, so I would set that pin at 27 yards and then on a deer, on a deer sized animal, uh, no matter what, if I hold that pin in the middle of the kill zone, I'm in at the top at 30, I'm in at the bottom at 20. Um, and no matter what, if you just hold right in the center of the kill zone, you'll kill that animal. If your pins at 27 yards. Um, so that's what I, I did, but, um, I actually, and what I going back, I actually found one time, uh, one of my daughters had it, uh, they had lime green glow in the dark fingernail polish, which is super attractive on little girl's hands. But, uh, it also <laughs> makes, it also makes a heck of a pin halfway down that post, uh, because it's bright lime green and then it glows just a little bit. I mean, it's not ever going to illuminate, but it glows just enough to where you can still see it. So, um, yeah, man, that's, it's a phenomenal idea. Um, now uh, on the I, heavy arrow I setup. Mean, that's a, yeah, that's, that's gold, man. I like have note of that and I'm definitely going to make sure that I do that or toy around with it because that was my only fear ever. And for whatever reason, I, I have never heard of that or thought of that or, so I appreciate so what it. I, gonna be what a good I do, tip. what I do is I put my bow in a vice and set my single pin at 20. I crank it down to 30 and then I mark where the 30 pin is, crank it back up to 20. And then I just mark right on that post where the 30 yard pin would have been. Um, and then I know that's a 30 yard reference. Uh, still don't use it like as a pin, but it's a 30 yard reference. And you know, if, if everything goes wrong, I can shoot a deer at 30 with that pin. Um, yeah. And, and then you can even play around with it and say, okay, if I, if my pins at 30, that pin's going to be at 37, you know, and, and just kind of, you know, learn your setup that way. Or if I move my pin up to 10, that's going to be a 21 yard pin. Um, and you can, you know, kind of just learn those things and, and, uh, really use it that way. So, um, what is, uh, yeah, I like that. that's what I wanted to ask you about heavy setups though, because we're talking about pin gap and we're talking about maximum distances. 
So this year I went with a super uh, heavy arrow setup. <laughs> um, and I had not played with this bow at all. I met the guys from Bear in Missouri to go on a hunt and they brought me my execute. And uh, I had my arrows shipped to them. That way they could tune in everything. And these arrows were 660 grains, um, which for me is super heavy. Uh, I mean, some guys are like, dude, I shoot 750 all day. Uh, but 660 mm-hmm. was a jump for me. And shooting it, like, before the hunt, I'm like, oh, this is awesome, dude. It is smashing that target. Um, but I had a I had an issue where the deer was at 14, um, and I'm like, well, I can just use my 20-yard pin, I, you know, whatever. Uh, no, opposite. It was at, it was at 20, it was at 27, 26, somewhere in there. And I'm like, well, I can just use my 20 yard pin. No problem. And it didn't even register to me that the gap is so much different with a heavy arrow. And so, so I shot right underneath that deer. And, um, you know, then I just started wondering, I'm like, so, and that was the question I posed, uh, to ranch fair at ATA. I'm like, so at what point, are you sacrificing so much speed for, you know, for kinetic energy that you're never going to need? You're stacking up so much kinetic energy that, you know, you could shoot through a stinking concrete block, but you don't need to do that. You know what I mean? So at what point are you sacrificing so much speed for kinetic energy that you're never going to need because those pin gaps get so much bigger um, and trust me, I understand the benefit of like crushing a shoulder. Um, but that got me thinking about pin gaps and how, you know, now my room for error is almost less because I have to make sure if that deer's at 27, I move my pin to 27. I can't shoot at 24 because I won't be on target anymore, you know? Um, so what's your, what's been your experience with that? Like at what point are you just going too heavy? I think that's, I honestly think that comes down to the individual and what the goals are, because I think there's so many variables that go into what you're trying to get out of an arrow. One of which is where you're hunting. You know, I, I say it like this. I say it to, to the heavy arrow crowd all the time. Cause I'm, cause I'm for whatever you want is kind of like at the end of the day, yeah. what I try to tell people like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I don't want to tell you what to do. Honestly. I, I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to like, if you want to shoot a heavy arrow because you want better penetration, then I support it. If you want to shoot a light arrow because you feel like you can get it to fly and that's better for your situation, then I want you to do that. Now, what I, what I will say with that is, is if you're going to be shooting a light arrow, then like, definitely don't expect to be able to pull off the same shot that the guy with the heavy arrow can and vice versa. Right. right? It's like, you have to have that trade off. So for example, for me, hunting in a variety of situations, especially this season, like I knew that I was going to be doing three very different hunts, pronghorn hunting, elk hunting and whitetail hunting. And all three of those, the shot opportunities I knew were likely going to vary a ton. And I didn't figure I was going to shoot a pronghorn inside of 15 yards, but I certainly figured that there's a good chance that I'd shoot a whitetail inside of 15 yards. Same thing with an elk. It's like, I figure I'm probably going to shoot, you know, inside of 30 at an elk, but who knows that one's not just, you know, standing there looking at a cow, you know, with no wind looking the other way. So it's like, 
I wanted to find an arrow that I could kind of hit it all with. And that's the personal situation that I was in in one season because next year it may be different. You know, if I was only going to be hunting elk and whitetail, it's like, and I knew I was going to be hunting super dense timber. Like if I was only hunting in, um, like Colorado and Ohio for elk and deer, then I would probably be more likely to go with something 550 plus, but hunting pronghorn is a little bit different. So to me, it kind of comes down to that. And also what, what type of hunting situations you put yourself into as well. Cause it's like the way that I like to hunt puts me in situations where animals are going to come in quartering to me. Like that's not a question. And I'm not going to wait for a perfect broadside shot. I'll shoot one straight through the chest. I'll shoot one and hit him. you know, try to put it on that bone. So I do want to find that balance a little bit too at a certain distance. So like for me, kind of the, the, yardage that I would as of right now, now that I don't know if there's any science to this. This is just my personal belief and, and opinion. So take that for what it's worth. This is the Zach if I've got a fair and ball theory right here, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like if I got a if I got a deer inside of 18 yards and where I feel like I want the arrow to exit makes me have to put it on the front side shoulder and I have to put it on that bone. If it's inside of like 18 yards, then I feel like with the setup and a single bevel broadhead, I'm willing to take that shot. But you know, anything past that, I don't think that I'm going to do it. But even if I had a 700 grain arrow, I don't, I don't know. It's it, a little bit of that comes down to like just how quickly my arrow can get there in general. But I do believe I mean, there's definitely something to like the Ashby studies and everything where these heavier arrow setups definitely have better capabilities of going through that heavy bone. Like, I don't know. I would just say I don't know enough yet and I don't have enough hard facts put in front of me all the time to say that like one is better for everybody than the other. My belief is if you put if you have the, like an average arrow set up, something above 450 for sure, but like kind of the sweet spot being 450 to 550, if you've got something in there and you've got a fixed blade broadhead, but better yet, a single bevel broadhead, that, that's, that's what I want to do. All I really want to right now and all I really believe in is a single bevel broadhead because the way that that thing is designed to cut through and I've said this before, and I'm sure this is super controversial. I don't know why you wouldn't shoot a single bevel broadhead unless you just cannot get the thing to fly, which is unfortunate. But I mean, to me, it's like, why would you not shoot one? And and I just want a bear. I don't want any bleeder blades. I don't want anything fancy. Give me a single bevel broadhead because that to me is designed and is a machine. Like that thing goes into cut and it turns and it breaks stuff. We're like, Previously, I'd shot a slick trick, which I had way better performance with a slick trick than any mechanical broadhead I'd used because I did I did shoot several deer with mechanical broadheads. And um, the slick tricks always performed better, but then it was like when I switched over to the single bevel, it was like, okay, like even better yet. So 
So the what's one weird thing for me, me is, is the broadhead. But yeah, on, go ahead. On single bevels, I this year had a very weird year um, mm-hmm. as far as single bevels go. Uh, starting off the year, I shot a deer in Kansas, piled it up inside 50 yards, a blood trail like a stinking highway, um, and then shot a deer in Oklahoma. Uh, same thing. Nope. I'm sorry. Between those two, I shot a bear in Idaho. Now, bears notoriously have bad blood trails, but this was very bad. Um, this was like two specks of blood. And I'm like, man, this sucks. And I'm like, what? Well, it's a bear. You know, I didn't think much about it shoot a deer in oklahoma same deal see it drop it was spraying blood everywhere and i'm like that's what i want you know and then i shot a deer in missouri and it was like picture perfect right in the pump house specks of blood and i'm like man this is rough like and so i had a a, just a weird year where two animals i shot with single bevels just piled up and spewed blood and then two other ones were just tiny slits in the animal with no blood. Um, so I shoot a lot of different broadheads. I'll, I'll say that though, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not a single bevel only guy. Um, obviously out of my recurve, I shoot uh, the new bear uh, single bevels. Um, but man, for whitetails, I, I absolutely love the sick SK2, which is, you know, the the expandable mm-hmm. from 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 bear uh, or, or the bear lineup, I should say. Um, but last year in Kansas, I shot a deer Uh, that weighed 225 pounds and that single bevel, I'm sorry, that mechanical busted through both shoulders, um, just absolutely blew through that deer. And and that's when I was like, man, that's cool. Um, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I just had a a really iffy year on single bevels and I'm, I'm not sure why. I have an opinion if you, if you want to hear it. And and that's why I told you again, again, opinion, you know, I think, I think that every arrow broadhead setup can absolutely get it done. And everybody says, Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Or like the guys that are like, you know, the guys and gals that are against a heavy arrow setup will, you know, just say to the grave, like it's all shot placement. And I can't agree more. It is all at the end of the day, it's all shot placement. You know, you have to have a good shot and, and I don't think that that's the argument necessarily in my opinion, or the argument that I would ever make in favor of a heavier arrow is not that it lets you get away with bad shot placement. It's that when I've shot mechanical broadheads with a lighter arrow, you know, under 400, 450 grain somewhere, or I'm sorry, under 500 to 450, somewhere under that. What I've experienced, and I'm lucky because I've watched not only my footage, but tons of others. Because when we worked at Midwest Whitetail previous to starting PHP, we had a big pro staff where people were sending in their footage. And when you can sit and watch footage over and over again on hundreds of deer, and you can watch it frame by frame, the most consistent thing that I've ever seen is the deflection of mechanical broadheads with a lighter arrow and that's something that made me switch back to the slick trick in 2017 the last year i shot with a mechanical was a buck i shot in nebraska and that deer went 40 yards blood everywhere and that was with a rage hypodermic or whatever i think was is the one that uh 
that was like super popular broadhead at that time. And I shot that one. And the reason I used that, because I was out West, it was my first time in Nebraska. And I thought, you know, I might have to shoot 40 plus yards because it's really open. Well, here I end up shooting this deer 10 yards, like less than 10 yards away. And, you know, the, the blood trail, the distance the deer ran, the pass through was everything I wanted out of any arrow setup. So like kind of back to that point of like, they'll all, they all work, but on the flip side, I shot a buck. I actually shot two deer back to back 2015 and 2016. And on both of those, the arrow went in and deflected towards the, you know, the guts and, and ended up ultimately only hitting one liver or I'm sorry, one lung liver and guts on both of them. And that really like put a, left a bad taste in my mouth. And then, you know, kind of upon looking at that for myself, I was looking at all these other examples as well. And it's like, man, at what point too, are we just like hitting a deer back and then just being like, Oh, we'll just go find him later. You know? And like that kind of became the norm in hunting media too. There's like when in doubt back out and like, absolutely that's still a good rule to live by, but I don't want to be in doubt. I just want to get it in there and get it up where all that stuff, you know, those, those, uh, yeah. Vital organs, lungs, heart, and then everything else, because that's another thing that I've realized. And, and I have the confidence to do now that I've got a, a, a setup that I feel like it can do it is when you hit things low and up front, it kills them. And it's like, yeah, you had kind of brought up another thing that I, that I kind of, I don't know. I, this is, this is all personal too. I don't get caught up in blood because I have seen the same thing. I've made what appears to be the same shot on two different deer. One of them runs and just is pumping so much blood that like you could, you could be colorblind and like legitimately still follow the blood trail because there's so much of it. On the other hand, I've shot that same shot, that same angle, and something's just different, and it doesn't bleed. And Ranch Ferry and Aaron and I talked about this, and I think we did a podcast, but we also just were talking about it a lot when we were just hanging out in general. And it's like, it's almost just like you can't predict blood trails. It's like you can compare two broadheads, but it's like you can dang near make the same shot with those two broadheads and one of them bleeds a bunch and one of them doesn't. It's just could be the subtle difference in what artery you're cutting in there and what angle the deer moves at the shot and everything. So it is like, to your point, it definitely can be frustrating and can be concerning when you don't see blood, but I, I've kind of, and, and ranch fairy kind of says it hilarious. It's, it's hilarious. Cause I, I definitely can see where it would make some people mad. It's like dead deer don't run. And it's like, that's true. It's like, if you make the good shot, even if it doesn't bleed, like having the confidence that, okay, I can put it up, up there tight where all that stuff comes together. I'm definitely going to hit vital organs and arteries and everything. And while I may not have blood, if the deer's dead inside of, you know, 150 yards, and I'm confident now. Also, I have the luxury to see if that's true or not because I can watch video. But it's like, if I can tell that, I'm not really worried about losing the deer if it is, in fact, dead. And Another thing I learned, and this is, this is not necessarily about broadheads, arrows, or anything. Something that I feel more and more confident about and, and I'm just always intrigued by 
I hit and lost a buck this year in Minnesota and he was 18 yards and I shot and I didn't feel good about where it hit. It was, it was low light and I could see the arrow sticking out. I was like, God, it just feels too high. And track the buck for, you know, a long way. Ended up getting a tracking dog. Uh, our buddy Shane Simpson is a tracking dog. He's got tons of experience and, you know, we ultimately decided that the deer was still alive and then I just hit him too high. Well, fast forward exactly 14 days from the time I hit him and a guy shot him with a rifle and sent me a message saying like, Hey, this might be this buck, you know, this is where we got him, you know, let me know if you want to talk about it. And I ended up talking to him on the phone for good bit and like pretty much confirmed that i mean i would say i'm 99 sure that that's the same deer looked the same arrow hole in the same spot exactly where i thought it hit him he was he shot him in the direction that we last like had tracked him going right basically where we where we had to call it off and what's crazy is is when you're shooting a target and you're shooting like for the 10 ring that's really close to being too high like center yeah. of center mass of a deer is really really close to being too high and i think one of the things that i mean here i am 30 years old that i've always struggled with ever since i was a kid and i've known this i mean i probably did it the first time when i was like 13 or 14 is deer aren't ever going to go up in the shot i mean Maybe it could happen, but like I'd say there's a rare situation where you're going to shoot at a deer and when you release that arrow, he's going up. He's always going down. So if you're aiming for the center of the deer and he drops, you're going to probably hit him too high. And that's a bad habit that I have. Jake has it. And we, we, we look at that all the time and we think, man, you know, so we're taking again, frame by frame video footage. And it's like how much a deer drops in, almost every shot op opportunity is pretty insane. So here I was shooting at 18 yards about as perfect of a shot opportunity as you can get. And I still shot center mass and hit too high. And I think that, you know, again, upon looking at more footage, it's like you really have way less room to make a mistake low. Like, I guess what I mean by that is like, you can hit, that far below the top of the back and still not get him. But, right. But if you go from the bottom, if you take the bottom up, it's like you can hit right here and still get him because all those arteries and everything in the heart is actually sitting way lower than I think what we're taught when we're looking at a 3D target. And then not even what we're taught, but also what we continue to repeat when shooting at 3D targets. And I think that um, it's hard to aim low, it's especially hard to aim almost underneath the deer, but I really think you're almost better off shooting to miss low barely than you are to shoot center mass in a lot of situations. And that's just something I've personally really had to learn. And, you know, again, to the point of like, you know, a lighter arrow setup, I don't necessarily even know that you always need a ton of penetration if you're low and forward enough. It's just a bad habit that I think a lot of people have to like get that center mass and just pull it and then, that's where the, you know, shots that hit back or shots that hit high happen, which is 
you know, kind of your general tendencies. If somebody has a tendency to make a bad shot, it's usually that they're either too high or back. And I think shooting a single bevel heavier arrow makes me feel more confident putting it low and forward, like just going straight up that leg and just putting it in, in right there. And I, I don't know. I, well, at the end of the day, point, too, I, I to guess the one thing I will finally, final, final thing I'll say about it is like, I don't want anybody to think that I think like, I'm going to think you're an idiot for shooting whatever you decide to shoot. I don't, I don't really care as long as you're, you know, the limitations of each one of them. I think yeah. that's the most important thing. If you know your limitations, then there's nothing wrong with any one of them. Even, even yeah. a light arrow with a mechanical, you just have to know those limitations. Yeah. And that's, so to your point, uh, to hit on a few of those things, I think the best thing that anybody can ever do is not care one iota about the lines on their 3d target, you know, whether they hit a 10, 12, doesn't matter. Dude. I had one guy, he called me and he said, Hey, there's this event this weekend and there's a uh, competitive recurve shooting 3d contest. You need to enter it. And I'm like, no, thanks. He's like, dude, you'll win. And I'm like, no, I won't. And he's like, dude, you're the best shot I've ever. And I'm like, you don't understand. I could care less about the rings on a 3d target. And in Mm -hmm. fact, I dude, I've got nine 3d targets in my backyard, uh, from hogs to bear and deer and black buck antelope. And, you know, just a fun place to shoot. Um, but I don't, I couldn't even tell you where the rings are. Like I couldn't look at a thing and say, all right, the twelves up here, there's tens right here. And there's eights around that because every time I shoot at a 3d target, I'm shooting as though I want to kill that 3d target. I, I don't yep. care what the rings say. I don't care anything. You know, I've even taken, um, I've even taken spray paint and spray paint over the 3D target to help blend those lines in so I can't see them. That way, when I'm shooting, I don't aim for a target, but I have to pick a spot. Um, And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I've done things, but there's also some really cool products. There's a, I think it's called Dead Nuts. I could be wrong, um, but they just make targets that have no lines on them whatsoever. Uh, It's basically a piece of cardboard that you put in front of your target. Um, but they have no lines on them whatsoever. Um, so you can really practice uh, picking a spot and making a good shot. Um, but, you know, and you made a point too about just because you go with a mechanical doesn't mean you have to go with a light arrow. Um, this year, mm-hmm. uh, I've decided for whitetails at least, I'm going to run that 500 exactly uh, with a mechanical. So it's on the heavier side yep. with a mechanical. So it still gives you that that just punch energy uh, that you want from a heavy arrow, um, with the bigger cutting surface of a, of a, of a mechanical. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm doing for, for whitetails at least. Um, now last time we talked, you were kind of playing around with recurves, um, kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, starting to dabble. Where has that gone? Where's that gone to? Still in there? It has gone completely on the back burner for right now, which is, yes, disappointing. I know here, here really, you know, and this is, this is, I don't know. I hate excuses. So I guess I'm just sitting here going to make an excuse, but <laughs> previously in my life, I've always lived in places where I could walk out my back door and shoot. And I feel like mentally I'm ready to dedicate the time that it takes to go shoot. But I currently live in a place where I can't walk out my back door. I could shoot potentially like I mean, and, and this is where I, where I get hung up. It's like, I could shoot 
but it, I, I'm too afraid. There's too much going on. I'm in town. I've got other houses around me. And where I lived in Iowa, I could shoot out my back door. And while it was in the edge of town behind it, there was uh, railroad tracks or a pond railroad tracks and then a field. Now it's like somebody else's house is like right behind. So it's like, I could maybe yeah. shoot 10, 20 yards and I, I just don't feel comfortable. And therefore I don't have enough time to shoot. I like I you. can go to the range and shoot my compound enough to like, you know, be efficient with that. And I'm still shooting, you know, plenty of times a week throughout the off season to do a compound and, and be confident and, and I guess just feel very good about my shooting with that. But where I want to be personally with a recurve is I want to be that same confidence level, but be shooting every day, multiple times a day. Like, and, and kind of what I've got to now is that I'm just going to have to be at a point in my life where I can be doing this type of work that I do this time of year and step out, shoot 10 arrows at lunch, you know, step out at two hours later, shoot 10 more arrows, but then also have like a little shooting session, you know, in that every afternoon. And that's where I want to be before I dive into it. Because like I've talked to you, I've, I'm, I've, I would imagine I told you before is when I go to do it, I don't want to do it and then go back. I want to do it and be right. in it for, and be all like, in. I want to make the trans. Yeah. I want to make the transition at some point to be all in and not go back because the style of hunting I like, like I, I really, other than pronghorn. So I guess maybe that's where I would say I would still use a compound, but other than pronghorn hunting, like even elk, I find myself getting pretty dang close to stuff. So like, I think I could do it and still have, you know, success, but I'm not where I want to be. And unfortunately I don't know that I'm going to get there living where I do, but we just rent. So it's not like we, it's not like I've, yeah. I've moved here permanently. This isn't a house I own. And honestly, something that I whine to my girlfriend about constantly is, is like, I gotta be able to shoot my bow wherever we go next. I gotta be able to shoot my bow more than what I'm doing now, because that is a goal of mine. So there's my excuse. And I am, that was, I'm sorry. It is lame. That was my goal too. And, uh, when we bought this house, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I can shoot forever. And and then my wife was like, I want to build a new deck. And I'm like, deal. Um, <laughs> you can build a new deck. I said, but I have one request. In one of the corners, you're going to build a 12-foot platform that I can climb up and shoot off of elevated. And so now I've got a back deck with an, elevated, with an elevated platform. It's got a bow hanger up there, an arrow tube, set my arrows in. And I've got nine 3D targets around the backyard uh, so I can just shoot. Um, but what I will tell you too, is like, and I've only been shooting a recurve for three years now. And I feel when I went on my elk hunt, I have my recurve with me and I felt fully confident if an elk was at 40 yards, I would have shot it with my recurve. Um, I, you know, I just put in that much time and effort to where, and really, you know, I don't like shooting long distances with my compound anyways. I, I, I don't like shooting at animals long distance with my compound anyways. Um, you know, really, mm -hmm. And that's what I kind of told the outfitter I was with. I'm like, man, I don't want to shoot past 60 with my compound, but I'll shoot at 40 all day with my recurve. I'm like, so is it worth 20 yards? I mean, to not shoot my recurve. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, that's what, 
that's where it was for me. Um, but here's what I would encourage yeah. you to do and anybody who has the means. Um, Tom Clum, uh, who's the owner of Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear uh, there in, in uh, Denver. Uh, are you familiar with him at all? Mm-hmm. He makes the cutthroats. Yep. Yeah, and he's he's like really close to here. Are you serious? Where I live currently. Yeah. Dude, I drive to him. I mean, drive close to him enough. for two days and he'll teach you how to shoot a recurve. Like better than I, I mean. I know. I've, I heard, have now, I've heard from multiple people that he's like the resource. Oh my gosh, dude. And you know, I had struggled for like a year and a half. And I flew out there just to spend the day with him. And I come back like nine times more confident and better off. And so then I fly the next year. And so now I've been uh, three times to just shoot for the day with him. And it's like every time I come home, leaps and bounds better than when I went. Um, So, dude, Mm -hmm. like whenever you want to do it, I'll fly to Denver and we'll spend the day with Tom. And uh, I promise you, like, it's it's I, I don't know how to put this, but like it's worth six months of just shooting by yourself. Like of just watching YouTube videos and practicing spending one day with Tom, in my opinion is, is like six months of trying to do it on your own. Um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal resource. Um, so I would highly encourage you to do it. Um, I'll come out there. We'll make a day of it and we'll have fun doing it. Um, but he is, he's phenomenal. And like I said, too, it's it's not a matter of like one thing to do it because I feel like I'm inspired to do it. I also just feel like it simply would be effective. I'm sure that's another thing we probably talked about. It's like being able to shoot low to the ground. And, you know, the the thing, I guess the downside I see with a compound is I got to draw it and I got to get up where like with yeah. that with that recurve, if I could learn to shoot and like I as somebody that I really look up to and I say, I talk about this a lot and tons of different podcasts and stuff is I've really like watching whitetail adrenaline and Jared uses the longbow and he's constantly talking about like, you know, shooting in different positions and everything. And like, while I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's like exclusive. It's like when you're consistently getting, you know, really close opportunities, I'm talking like really close. I've had, the one season in Ohio, I had like back to back days of hunting. I had a deer at like six and four yards, but both big bucks. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't get either one of them cause I made mistakes, but you know, it's like when that's the distance that you're getting, it's like, I don't necessarily know, you know, that distance is the problem. It's, it's, it's just like anything. I mean, you just gotta be ready and you gotta be prepared and you want to be confident. And I'm just not shooting enough consistently to be confident. I feel like the the other thing that I like about the recurve is I do like the instinctive part of it. It's like, I mean, having shot bows since I was, you know, I mean, I honestly don't even remember the first time I shot, you know, like a kid's bow. It's like, I have a lot of experience doing it and I've always enjoyed bow fishing for that reason. It's just that instinctive shooting, you know, you're just getting it back and you're just you feel it. I don't know how to explain it other than that. I think it's muscle yeah. memory. And it's I like do like that. And I like, yeah, it, it really is. And like, you know, I like those, I like that. And it makes it even more fun for me to practice too. Like while I love shooting a, a compound and I love how precise you can be with a compound, even like, you know, 
85 yards, you know, and you can still hit, you know, this size of an area. It's like, that's fun. But there's something that's just super cool to me about having that ability to just shoot and, and kind of have instincts to it. So I want to do it, man. I really do. And I, I mean, I know that's not a good answer. And honestly, the the reason that I don't dive into it is because I know that I'm not ready to fully commit yet. And the day that I am, yeah, it'll be a good day. But I, and I really don't think that I really think that I want to do it and, and not go back. And that's kind of my goal. So therefore I'm not going to jump into it until I'm hundred percent ready and committed. Now, See, with that I was, being said I was too, the opposite. I'm though. still really like, I didn't want to fully commit, uh, not for the reason of like, Oh, I, you know, I'm scared of it, but because I enjoy shooting a, a compound, like I wanted mm-hmm. to be a more well-rounded archer, uh, rather mm-hmm. than just saying like, okay, I'm a hundred percent one way or a hundred percent the other way. I just wanted to be able to use all different means of methods, you know, all different style. I mean, there's days where, I mean, on that elk hunt, there were mornings where I'm like, I want to take the recurve. So I'd pick up the recurve and we'd go out hunting. And there was days where I'm like, did I really just want to take my compound? Don't know why. I just yeah. want to. And, uh, and so that's what I would take. Sa- same with deer hunting. I mean, you know, there's, there's trips where I'm like, all right, I'm only taking the recurve because I really want to shoot with my recurve. And then there's trips where I'm like, did I just want to take my compound? Not because it's easier or um, because it's more effective, but that's just what I feel like shooting just right now. because you like both. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely. feel like it's one of those things maybe and and I think that's cool. I really do. I I I have nothing against that. I just always think to myself like it's something that if I'm going to put that much effort into, I am an all-in guy. That's just that's ultimately yeah, what it is, dude. I, I, get that. I, I really am like my my friends make fun of me all the time. It's just like, yeah, if you can't be 100% committed to it, it's just like I just won't even do it. And that's where kind of where I am with the recurve is it's like I also just think it would be cool for me to have something to w- work towards as far as getting better. And like I said, I just really want that opportunity to be able to walk out my back door and to do that, I'm going to have to move, which is probably going to happen in the next year or two. So it's on the radar. It's just a matter of like getting out here and not being able to, or being able to actually shoot in the backyard. Cause like, I think that's what it's going to take. I think I got to be able to shoot in my backyard for me. That's what it's going to yeah. take to be able to shoot the recurve. Cause like I just have too much going on to drive, you know, even 10 minutes, even five minutes to go somewhere to shoot every day. If that makes sense. Like I gotta, I gotta have it so that I can get up from this desk right here where I'm doing my editing, walk, grab the bow, go out the back door, shoot it, and then come back in and get back to work. Cause that's another thing about me is I'm, so easily distracted that if I drive somewhere to go shoot to come back to work, it'll be like a nightmare. So guys, there's not many things that I'm going to tell you to stop and do right now. One of those things is to stop and go join Pope and young right now. It's 45 bucks for the entire year to be a member of Pope and young. And what that does for you is that helps to ensure your rights as a bow hunter. Pope and Young is constantly fighting for your rights as a bow hunter. They are the national bow hunting organization in North America. They exist to protect your rights as a bow hunter. They are all the time going before state legislators uh, to fight for your rights and to continue protecting your rights as a bow hunter. The record book exists in the first place because somewhere between us and the Indians, people had lost sight that bow hunting was a lethal 
way of harvesting big game. And so Glenn St. Charles and his group of cohorts, they started the record book so they could take it to different states and show that bow hunting is, in fact, a a ethical way of harvesting big game. So guys, don't get caught in, in, in Pope and Young only being a record book. They are your voice for bow hunters, and there's power in numbers. So I would highly encourage you to join today because we need to stand together to protect our rights. Also, what you might not know is if you've bought a bare bow, you can go and register that bow, and you're actually going to get a free Pope and Young membership. Bear Archery is such a believer in the mission of Pope and Young and what they stand for and what they do to protect our rights that they are going to buy your first year's membership. So if you've bought a bow, go online and register that bow, and you're going to get a free year's membership to Pope and Young. But guys, I would encourage you, stop right here right now and go join Pope and Young because we have to protect our rights as bow hunters. Why was I low? Was my anchor point off? Did I pull the shot? Did I not pull through my shot enough? Did I uh, shoot on the collapse? Did I, uh, was my point on reference wrong? I have all day to to contemplate that shot. And then in the evening, after I've spent all day long contemplating that shot, then I'll spend 45 minutes to an hour shooting and just practicing and, and refining mm-hmm. my abilities. Um, <clears throat> Because I've had all day long to figure out, okay, what did I do wrong? I was a bit high. Why was I high? Uh, Or that was a perfect shot, man. Now I get to have a great day thinking about that shot, how it felt, how it went off, how the shot broke, um, all of those things. And then in the evening, I get to put those things, you know, continue those, continue that success, if you will. Um, So that's kind of how I practice. I used to want to be able to shoot, like you said, like three or four times, 10, 10 minutes a day. But then I would find like at lunch, I would go out and try to shoot for 10 minutes and I'd shoot for an hour. And I'm like, crap, mm-hmm. I didn't get my work mm-hmm. done. Um, so yes. I, that's difficult for me to stop shooting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's a, 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 I don't know exactly how it would look, you know, maybe it, maybe it would look more like your style. It's a, it's just the consistency aspect of it. You know, it's like right now in the summertime, when I'm shooting the most, you know, I'm getting my compound to the range probably four or five times a week. And it's like, I know for a recurve, I'm going to have to be more, you know, it's just going to have to be more. Right. And I think that at least, at least for me at the level that I'm at, I'm sure that if I did it more consistently for, you know, three, five years, then maybe I wouldn't have to shoot. Maybe I would be better or, or okay. Only shooting four or five times a week. Maybe that would be the case. I don't know, but until I can really put that time in, that's just when I'm going to feel the most consistent. And like, honestly, man, the more I've been thinking about it, the more I want to do that with like all the weapons. Like I just am coming off of like the most recent hunt that I was on was a um, most recent couple hunts I've been on have been muzzleloader hunts. And then even the one before that was a uh, gun hunt in, in uh, New York and holding those guns and not taking a shot all that on all, all those hunts. It's just like, man, I really just want to get to the range and practice and just keep practicing. And like, that's another, another thing I'd like to just get to doing more. Cause when I was younger, I lived at my parents' house, you know, or what, you know, when I was living at my parents' house, I could take a gun outside. I could take a bow outside and I just did it all the time. Like I would shoot, you know, a 22 in the backyard all the time and my buddies would go small game hunting so i was constantly holding a gun 
on top of that, I could also, you know, all summer long, just go shoot my bow whenever I wanted. And I could go put targets in the woods. And, you know, when I was doing that, my confidence was always through the roof. And I feel like while I have confidence now, a lot of that confidence is just because I'm older and I've been doing it for longer. You know, it's just, I have better control. I understand the mistakes that I've made and stuff like that, but it's in general, it never hurts to just continue to practice. And like, I wouldn't say that I'm like a guy that wants to just go shoot guns just to shoot guns, but I want to shoot guns to get better at applying that to my hunting. Same with practicing with a bow. I just want to be able right. to do more of it. And I feel like I'm currently super inspired to do it. You know, you know what I mean? Like I, I just right. I'm like, man, I'm just dying to go shoot anything, bow gun, whatever. And I think that's kind of just, I think part of it too is because of where I'm living right now, which has been a little over a year, about a year and four months that I've been living here or maybe, maybe longer than that, even maybe going on two years. But regardless, it's like where I live, I can't, I can't shoot like I have been in the past. And it's, it's starting to wear on me to the point where yeah. if you ask, if you asked Whitney, my girlfriend, what my number one complaint is about where we live, I guarantee she'd say that I can't shoot my bow every day. <laughs> I've got, I've got one more, um, topic I want to discuss with you, uh, because yeah, I just sure, bought man. one and I'm excited to try it. Have you ever used the bow mounted decoys? Mm-hmm. Dude, I just shot I'm a buck so in Minnesota excited. with it. Really? Yeah, look right here. Yeah. So I got, I, I am so this excited is, to get into it. This is the one I just got this year. That's the exact one I have. Just got one. I shot a buck with that. I shot a buck with that in Minnesota at like inside of 20 for sure. And the only Dude. reason that he came that close is because of the decoy for sure. I'm so excited, man. I, uh, I ran into uh, the owner. He's a buddy of mine, Danny Ferris. Um, Danny Ferris. Yeah. And I, uh, ran into him at Dallas Safari. No, no, I'm sorry. I ran into him at Western hunt expo and just talking like, you know, I'm like, man, I've been hunting a lot from the ground with my recurve. And, uh, he's like, and you're not running a decoy. And I'm like, I mean, I run decoys, um, but not on my bow. And he was like, dude, you're wrong. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you're just wrong. <laughs> and so, uh, I bought one and I am, dude, I'm thrilled to put it to the test. I can try it out. Um, he actually told me, he's like, man, there's been a couple times where I've had to stand up, drop my bow and like start waving my arms. Cause they were about to fight me. Oh, like, yeah. Oh yeah. And that just sounds so fun, dude. Check this out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that wild? That's dude? awesome. I, I can pull it back a smidge further. But he's he's standing there looking at it right there. It's just that it's is just crazy. wild because he's like he he definitely, you know. It definitely starts to be a little suspicious there at the end. And I had just enough brush between me and him that I was kind of being, so cool. you know, being patient. And, but it, I mean, it definitely brought him in. And I think it's a perfect situation, that hunt, to use it. He had a doe and he was running other bucks off. And we basically just got a visual on him and just got in there tight to where we had last seen him go into cattails. And he just, I think he heard us coming towards him 
and then he came out and then he just saw that decoy and just didn't think twice of it. He, we had just watched him run another buck off. That was about the size of the de- decoy, like five minutes That's earlier. Cool. So I think he was, just have like, you oh, used well. it in conjunction with another decoy, like a, a doe decoy out front. And then you sit back in the brush with a buck decoy. I haven't, but I, but I've considered it plenty. I mean, I definitely think that using doe decoys for like, I, I kind of think of it like, like turkey decoys if you're gonna gonna use them which i don't anymore but when i was using them a lot i used to like pay attention to every different turkey and i think if you're gonna decoy turkeys there's a way to do it and every turkey you have to treat differently and you can kind of read his body language or whatever same thing with the deer some deer are fighters you know some are just like you know they're not gonna let anybody mess with them and their dough and therefore you know a buck decoy is going to work better, but there's other bucks that aren't as aggressive. And I think that, right. you know, just mixing that up and knowing your, you know, what area you're in, or if you know that there's you know, a specific buck or something that has a tendency like that, I absolutely think it would be a good idea. Well, and that's why I like, and again, I'm only like a week into thinking about this. Uh, sorry. Okay, hop out, bud. No, hop out. Um, And again, I'm only like a week into thinking about this, but that was kind of my mindset. Like if you're hunting, you know, especially like an open field edge, you put that doe decoy out there and then you sit back in the brush with the buck on your bow. So then no matter what kind of buck you have come in, if he's a lover, he's going to try to take the doe. Um, and if he's a mm-hmm. fighter, he's going to come at you to get between you and your doe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm, dude, I'm really excited to try it, though. Like, my wheels have been spinning constantly now. And I'm like, I've got great properties to try it. I've got great, you know, places to – so I'm really, really excited about it. But I figured you, you had I done think, it before. Yeah, I think it's really fun. I think that there's just a lot of uh, – there's a lot of differences, too, between – decoying deer and turkeys because yeah i quit decoying turkeys because i kind of felt like i i kind of felt like i had got to a point where i was like okay i want to challenge myself in new ways but with deer it's a li- i view it differently because deer's number one defense isn't their eyes so i don't feel as i guess i don't feel as like i'm tricking them as much as i do a turkey or like turkeys when they see a decoy they believe that that's a real turkey, like pretty much nine times out of 10, especially if you've got one of the better ones, you know, the, the newer decoys or whatever, they, they definitely believe it. So I kind of got out of decoy and turkeys, but, um, when I started doing this deer decoy and I felt like you, the biggest thing is you have to just make sure the wind is in your favor, but not just in your favor, but like in a way that they can't get it in their favor or really low odds. You can almost have to visualize them being funneled to where the wind's still good. And I think that brings a whole different aspect to it that makes it really fun. And it just brings a new challenge to it, but it's, uh, yeah, man, it's, it is fun. And there's definitely like that time of the year to use it in my opinion is peak rut, you know, like, and in, in, I shot that buck that I just showed you that little clip of on November 18th. And like, 
I always say that little window right there, like right around 17th, 18th, 19th, I've had some of my best days bow hunting when, yeah, I guess at least in States when, when they haven't, don't have a rifle season open then, but that's a good time to use it. Cause when a buck has a doe, he's generally going to be pretty defensive. So that's, that's what we took advantage of on that one. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to get into it. Um, what's that, uh, what's that number one tip you got that hunting one-on-one field note tip that the listener can take and make themselves a better hunter with? I would say just use your instincts and not get caught up in anything too specific because there's really nothing that is super specific in hunting, I guess, to me, like every situation is so different. I would just suggest go with your gut. Don't be afraid to make mistakes, you know, and yeah, try not to overthink things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought I, you were going to say the, the tape, the tape around your riser. I thought that's what you're going to say from earlier. <laughs> the, the stealth strip and your entire bow. Yeah. Yeah. Mine I mean, would I be think, the I think fingernail polish on do. your single pin. I mean, it that, that definitely changed a lot. I mean, that really opened my eyes, dude. I think that's a big deal. That really helped me. Um, I'm excited thing, to hear some feedback on it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm excited to try it now. I'm like, well, I think that just solved all my problems because I was thinking about going with a three, you know, three pin that I can still use a slider on, but then it's like, well, then the negative to that is the clutter like we talked about. So I'm excited about that. And then I guess as far as like other tips, like just as kind of a generalized one, like my other one, but just thinking of the little things like being ready at all times and like, you know, maybe it is stealth stripping your bow. Maybe it is noticing that little noise that you make when, you know, you draw back or, you know, paying attention to the little things over the years. A lot of that comes down to having made mistakes before and learning from your mistakes. But, you know, the more that you pay attention to those little things, you just realize that you can, if you're doing that, you can get away with more you know, and right. when I was younger, I used to just get so tunnel vision that I would, you know, have a major error. And I, I mean, I still do it. Like I was talking about those two examples in Ohio where I had bucks really close a few years ago and it was like back to back days. It's like two bucks at point blank. And I messed both of those up because I wasn't paying attention to all the little things. And I think that that to me is another um, big tip, just being present in the moment. And like, I relate a lot of things to sports and it's like when you first start playing sports, like when you, when you first get in the game, it's like, everything's moving really fast. You're not paying attention to the little things, but as you get more experience, you feel more comfortable out on the field or the court or whatever it may be. You start to slow the game down and you start to pay attention to all those little details. You see your teammates better. You see, you know, the play kind of playing out in front of you and you can make a better decision. Same thing comes with hunting. Yeah. If you're paying attention to all those little things, you can kind of slow the game down a little bit. And 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 sometimes it feels like maybe silly and you're paying you're paying attention to the little things too much, but it's like there's just certain things that even if they feel silly, like double checking yourself, making sure you are in fact gonna get away with what you think you are, like 
I'm a huge, huge for a bow hunter or, or even a gun hunter for that matter. But I'm a huge like advocate of just draw your weapon. Like if you're not drawing your bow in the setup, like that stresses me out. You know, it's like, if you don't know every potential move, you know, even if you expect all your shots to be here, you want to check here and here as well, because you never know what could happen. And I just think that's all plays into those little things. Guys, not knowing the law is not an excuse for breaking the law. And sometimes going through different state agency websites, they're clunky, they're hard to get around, they're hard to understand, they're, they're not laid out well. They're just difficult. And for guys, especially who hunt multiple states, um, you're bouncing between states, you're going different places. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with season dates, bag limits, laws, rules, regulations. Seasonreport.com is your one-stop shop for everything you need to know about every state you hunt in. You can save the, the counties that you hunt in inside your portfolio and then you can look at everything on a calendar view so i can see when the seasons open and close in oklahoma and kansas missouri arkansas i can see when all those season dates are open when they overlap with rifle season so i know when i gotta throw my orange on i can see everything on one easy to use easy to understand platform but also every rule law regulation it's right there i don't have to go through the state clunky agency websites it's all right there in one place for me to look at easy to understand easy to follow guys this is something that i it saves me every year i check the, the i check it out every year um i look at it before every hunt to make sure you know something didn't open or close that i didn't know about guys this entire platform is just 10 bucks for the entire year it's the best 10 bucks in my opinion that you can spend on hunting and making sure that you're covered as far as the law goes guys use code hunting 101 that's all caps hunting 101 and get that entire platform for just 10 bucks for the entire year i would highly highly encourage it again it's the best 10 bucks that i believe you can spend in a season zach thank you so much for coming on guys if you haven't checked out the hunting public i mean i don't know what kind of rock you're living under uh, but i would highly encourage you to check out the adapt uh, if you haven't shot it, it was the talk of ATA. Everybody was kind of swarmed around that at the shooting lanes. That's what everybody wanted to shoot. Um, so if you haven't shot the adapt, I would highly, highly encourage you to find a dealer, shoot the adapt, shoot the entire lineup, but shoot the adapt, uh, check them out. Um, Zach, thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Can't wait to watch, um, your success in the Turkey woods this year. So good luck shooting some long beards, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And, Always a good time talking. I love talking. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Guys, thank you so much for listening. You guys have a fantastic week.